1: Hello, and welcome to Split Opinion with Flora Gill and Amber Rudd. Flora,
2: I think you'll find it's Amber Rudd first. And shouldn't you tell people who we are?
1: Okay, uh, with journalist Flora Gill and failed politician Amber Rudd.
2: (laughs) Or more like the right honourable Amber Rudd and her nobody daughter.
1: Okay, wow, taking that to therapy. Each week we'll be discussing topics that split opinion and we'll be trying to convince each other to change their minds.
2: That's right, because here at Split Opinion, we think changing your mind should be celebrated – Too often today, people refuse to listen to the other side and have become very dogmatic in their positions. That's something I learnt a lot about in the past few years in politics.
1: So we'll be looking at items that have changed our mindset in the last week before picking a subject to delve into. Sometimes they'll be serious, like drug legalisation and prostitution. Other times they'll be less so, like telly and thongs. But
2: we won't be doing it alone. We'll be joined by a guest, an expert, who can help each of us win our particular case.
1: So without further ado, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Split Opinion. Today's main topic we'll be talking about free-range parenting and mum and I will be disagreeing on uh, child rearing.
2: Yes, we Um, will. (laughs) I disagree entirely with you on this one. I can't believe you think we should have sort of lax child rearing. Should we call it child rearing? Child rearing sounds like we're rearing animals.
1: A free range also sounds like we're raising animals. Oh, alright well. free range
2: child rearing. Let's see how it goes.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm excited to try and have the high ground on this while not having any kids of my own. It's not gonna, yet, darling. It's gonna make
2: tick tock, tick tock. <laughs> oh my
1: God, <laughs> just, that's a whole another argument. Okay, um, but for now. To get us in the mood for changing our mind we're each going to talk about something that we've changed our mind on this week
2: so I've changed my mind about letters and I'm hoping to change your mind about this one Flora, this is a slightly duplicitous approach about who's changing their minds here, basically now I have a little bit more time on my hands uh, I like to write letters and people love receiving them and you can send them for anything, obviously for birthdays, for thank yous thank yous, good children send thank you letters, um, for any occasion and I can tell you people really like getting them so I went and treated myself and got myself some really beautiful cards with my name and address and nice uh, envelopes and I have a nice pen anyway and I've been writing letters and I think you should think about writing letters because they're just such a lovely thing to get they're so much more personal and interesting than emails which just poof disappear after you've written them. You always
1: uh, brought us up to be big on writing thank you letters particularly and I remember getting a little bit because I started just writing thank you letters to everyone over little things. I would just go over to someone's house and have afternoon tea and write them a thank you letter. But that's lovely. Everyone... That's nice. Yeah. It is, it is a good... If you go to a big birthday party, it is a good way to always get along with the parents. People do love a thank you letter. And I agree, it is sad that people don't write as many letters nowadays. Although I'm much happier... Uh, I think, I know a lot of my friends are much happier that they don't have to spend huge fortunes on wedding invites sending letters, that it is more acceptable now to
2: send out a paperless post. Oh that's true but um, I I think it is something that comes down from your parents, I mean my mother was always making us write thank you letters, Uh, if you went to a party, if you went to see somebody you always had to write a thank you letter and in fact I think that her family obsessed about it as well and there was a sort of famous family story, it was when my aunt decided to write the thank you letter for a dinner she was due to go to ahead of the dinner and then inadvertently posted it and so she went to the party and they'd already had the thank you letter (laughs) that did make her feel a little foolish the cooking
1: was glorious (laughs) the 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 food was fantastic it must be
2: so generic first course was nice and pudding was great and my seat was comfortable the company was sensational but anyway uh, that's not what to do to write it ahead but you should write it afterwards
1: I am sad that uh I remember Looking through a box of old photos once and finding all your old love letters, and you had some. I mean, there are some stalkers out there, there are some <laughs> crazy, creepy love letters, just
2: honestly like pamphlets, like booklets. Like... I, I did have one former ex who wrote the whole time, oh my and never no, didn't stop, even though when he became an ex for, for quite some time, he kept on writing, but, but they kept ke- them. I kept them, but it's quite nice to have. I mean, his did get a bit stalkerish. But the other ones are rather lovely to have. did. You weren't supposed to get those, darling. Not yet, not till I'm dead. I started reading them and I thought it was really funny and just quite entertaining. And then they got a little
1: bit... A little bit saucy? Yeah, a little bit I'm inappropriate. Sorry. And I was like, oh my God, I do not want to read you, about you, this. Yeah, yeah, I
2: can see that's going to increase your therapy bill for a um,
1: while. Exactly. I actually nearly sent, sent you a letter the other day. Actually, not you. I almost sent... Uh, your son, my brother, a letter, because I found this company that sends these fake packages, effectively. Uh, packages of what? <laughs> I sent one to my one of my best friends because he just moved into a new home and is very excited to be uh, getting to know the neighbours. And, you know, COVID has been a terrible time, but it's been a great time for people to get to know their neighbours in a way that people haven't, I think, for years. Anyway, this is a package that is bright pink, very metallic. And then on the front, it says... A service not to be sniffed at, pantysniffers.co.uk. And then on the back, it just has a tiny little bit of lace poking out the envelope as if it's just stuffed full of, 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 of dirty knickers. And then on the inside, it's just, it's just a card that says, now the postman thinks you're weird too.
2: Oh my God. Pretending to be knickers... that someone had sent off for. Yeah,
1: exactly. Oh my gosh. It's just a really good way to have all the neighbours in your flat just see that waiting for you on your doormat and know that you're to be avoided.
2: Total humiliation.
1: Anyway, I quite wanted to send one to my brother to watch, because he lived, still lives with you, and to watch you receive it and just...
2: Uh, just I say, this is an interesting hobby you're developing, Esther. Ex- exactly. I don't know if you would have brought it up with I'm it I'm not, not sure. I'm not sure, no. Well, I'm glad you didn't send it to him. I hope your other friend found it funny.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, they found it mildly funny. I was upset by how quickly they suspected it was me, because I didn't sign it. There's no indication. And they immediately came to me and was like, did you do this?
2: Well, that's not what I mean about sending letters. I want something dignified and clever and entertaining that next time you come round to dinner and want to send me a letter. Mm, Okay. So, Flora, what uh, what have you been thinking about this week you might change your mind on? Uh, Well...
1: I think it's a, it's a bit of an unfair one I've picked because I'm not sure it's changed my mind, but it is solidified by opposition, which I guess is the exact opposite to changing my mind. Yeah, it is really. But I've been very against, I'm very against gender reveal parties, which are a big thing in America, but they seem to be coming over here more and more.
2: I haven't quite understood what they have. So it's when the parents have a baby and they don't want to tell you whether it's a boy or girl and they have a party and say, yahoo, a boy or a girl. Yes, exactly. I don't really understand what the point is. Well, there are lots of different ways
1: to have... I agree, there's not very much point. There's lots of different ways to have a gender reveal. So I've seen versions where you open a box and there's either pink balloons or blue balloons. Interestingly, the colours... Pink used to be the colour for a boy in like Victorian times, and then it got switched. It's just just so generic and random. Anyway, anyway, um, or I've seen ones where you um, rev a car and then it comes out the back either pink or blue smoke. Or you, um, I've seen one where you they fed a watermelon to a crocodile alligator, and in on the inside it was the correct colour. Anyway, not the baby. Not not the baby. (laughs) It came up in the news this week because they had a big smoke bomby, fireworky one that basically just set off a huge fire.
2: Oh, that started that
1: fire. Yeah. Wow. Really not. But great. How did it
2: start that fire?
1: Because it was like it was like a bomb, basically. It started off being, you know, I think it was pinkish clouds of smoke, and then oh it like set a firework. Fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh basically. my gosh. It's weird that they're becoming more popular when people are becoming more aware of. Uh, not gendering kids and exactly. about whole different issues with gender or about forcing a gender on a young child. So
2: it's just it's just male and female. It's not a third choice.
1: I I, I don't think they do intersex colours, no. <laughs> but,
2: I, I thought the whole thing about gender reveal parties was about sort of not revealing because some people want to bring up their children without them being male or female. But no, I've got the wrong end of that stick.
1: No, yeah, no, that's not what it is. I think it's more just, I think a lot of it is because there's, very few things that you can have a big announcement over with a baby. It's basically, oh, it's a baby or it's not a baby, That's you true. know? The you only know, thing they ask is
2: always, is how, how heavy was how it? How heavy
1: is it? Because I find it, because I try not to...
2: You were heavy, very heavy.
1: I'm, I'm sorry, I feel like this is... A... <laughs> You're looking at me <laughs> evilly. Um, I try, when I find out a friend has a new baby, to not immediately gender it in terms of what you buy or toys or how you talk about it not to immediately tell little girls oh you're so beautiful or things like that but it it does become quite difficult but when there's when it's a newborn baby because there's very few things you can ask or say to a baby except is it a boy or a girl you can't be like you know what's its sense of humor
2: i suppose so i suppose it's trying to extend the fun bit of having the baby when actually you're just trying not to cry you're so exhausted and covered in dirty nappies so it's supposed to be an excuse for party and fun but nobody wants to go
1: to another one no one wants to no one wants to go to another you've already got the baby showers and different I, baby things I have things to tell you are... I was in
2: Peter Jones today and in the rail of remaindered things I cards nobody wanted to buy anymore there was a whole lot of gender reveal cards so maybe that's it maybe the fashion is passing for those particular types of events so you I don't have to worry about preparing for one instead
1: of a gender reveal party I would have a sex reveal party where it just I open a box and the balloons come out and it's just like doggy position or <laughs> just the sex that my baby was conceived in that's my daughter knowing the toe every time <laughs>
2: Lowering the tone. There she goes.
1: Anyway, so I'm against gender reveal parties and I don't want to see it anymore. And I think Mother Nature in this fire has cried out against the obsession and we should not let it migrate over from America or anywhere else
2: and just stamp that out. I'm with you. No wonder they're on the remainder island, Peter Jones.
1: (laughs) You sound so posh. I can't think of a posher end.
2: Our main theme today is about parenting. Now, I step very gingerly into that, like most mothers do. None of us think we've got it all right. We all muddle through one way or another. And I'm bored of the amount of times people say, can you have it all? Can you be a successful careerist and bring up children? Who knows? But you can try and do your best. My daughter seems to have developed an extraordinary idea about parenting, even though she hasn't got any children. And I've invited her to try and air those views here, and we're going to have a discussion about it.
1: Flora. You've invited me here. I'm not a guest on your show. What is this?
2: (laughs) I've suggested that she might have the courage.
1: Yes. Um, On the one hand, I feel like I'm at a disadvantage talking about this topic because I haven't raised any children.
2: No, you haven't.
1: Having said that, I don't like you starting with this whole TikTok thing. Women are allowed not to want or have children and that's okay. Yes, they are. Okay, just clear that up. But then again, only one of us has uh, been affected or witnessed the other one's parenting techniques. So, you know, you can't have a go at mine or tell me mine don't work, whereas I can critique yours fairly effectively.
2: Yeah, but I can critique an egg even though I didn't lay an egg. I'm still going to (laughs) critique. the chicken for laying a bad egg so it doesn't really matter whether you've had them or not there's an equality in it anyway
1: okay well uh I feel like this is going to steadily get very personal as so I just start laying out everything we'll be I careful do. we'll be careful no um what is your it's, view it's difficult because on the one hand there are lots of things that I would do differently I think than you did and I think a lot of people want to do things differently than their parents did on the other hand the results for you were pretty phenomenal. I mean... (laughs) What, you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And your brother? 50%. You got half halfway there. Um, But I have been drawn to this new idea, which is uh, of free-range parenting, which we're going to hear a little bit from the woman that kind of coined the term uh, in a little while. But it's kind of a rejection of the helicopter parenting that has become so popular, of parents looking over their kids and uh, just watching over every moment and always hovering like a helicopter and instead free-range parenting is all about letting them run wild and fall over and make their own mistakes and uh, I think it's something that I am um, interested in but maybe particularly because it seems like less work
2: yeah no I agree with you on that I'll be interested in what she has to say. Uh, the whole helicopter parenting was the whole tiger mom thing, wasn't it? When it's a type of parenting where you are always taking them to events after events and being very strict about them not being able to stay over and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, your parenting was probably closer to that than to free-range parenting. And to be honest, Flora, when you were a child, you quite wanted all those boundaries. I mean, you were strict with me, let alone with your brother. You know, you got a bit irritated if you didn't think there was enough boundaries about pocket money or rules about television you would just invent them so I think your instinct is in fact for more control not um, but that's because less. you were
1: unfair in the way that you doled out your punishment and your rules <laughs> you just you you would you basically allowed my brother to con you all the time and I How was used to it How old are it you? was very unfair I'm in my 20s yeah, just <laughs> for example you were very strict on making us go to all sorts of clubs and activities, and uh, you know I remember I had to go to dance after school and then singing after school, even though I have absolutely no talent for. You any of wanted those. to
2: do that. You thought you were, <laughs> you thought you were a soprano, <laughs> sort of brilliant singer, and so you insisted on that, and just everybody had to cover their ears when it took place.
1: I also do worry that um, one of my few flaws now is that I am a massive scaredy cat when it comes to stranger danger and talking to people on the phone and I hate getting told off I hate people being mean to me which is a problem being related to you yes um but I I wonder if part of that is because I was so watched over and never you know I think
2: think in your head you were watched over. I don't think you were that much watched over. And I think that you uh, wanted to invent rules around yourself. And one of them was, for instance, at Lent every year as a family, we usually give something up, something pretty trivial, probably some sweets or something like that. And one year you surprised me by saying you were going to give up television, television. And you Mm -hmm. gave up television for the whole 40 days. It was quite an
1: endeavour, and you stuck to it. I actually can't believe I did that. I can't believe I didn't watch telly as a kid for 40 days. I remember we only had one, we had like one children's room for me and my brother, so I would sit with my back to the television doing my homework, just not allowed to turn around. Because of my own rules, I wasn't allowed to turn around while Ali watched tv programs i I couldn't go 48 hours now without so i think
2: that indicates that your childhood was less strict than you remember but you put the strictness on it i do think you want some strictness obviously the boundaries is always the word that's used and i do worry about the idea of free-range parenting because i don't think kids are comfortable in it but i think that your instinct is more authoritarian than you think
1: so uh, our guest who's coming up, Leonora Skenazy, she um, got accused of being America's worst mum when she let her nine-year-old ride the subway on his own uh, back home. Would you have let me, or would you let a child ride uh, the Tube in London when they were nine? No,
2: I wouldn't. But I would probably uh, quite soon after that. I mean, and me, that would be like... Sort of probably ten or eleven if they knew where they were going. You wouldn't like that's quite close actually yes, it is close. You wouldn't I mean, and maybe I say no, I wouldn't. But maybe if you had a particularly adult nine year old who was going from A to B and knew their way, no, I, I just, just don't think I would at nine and possibly at ten or eleven. I, mean, I used to get the bus to school in London when I was I think ten to eleven, and I knew which bus, I knew what time. But I do remember once overstop- um staying on the bus two stops after my stop. And I got off and I was, I swear, 10 or 11. And I went into an absolute panic. And so I went to emergency activity A, which my mother had uh, instilled in me. And so I went and found a red phone box. I used my coin, my spare coin and phoned her. And I said, mum, I think she'd been terribly worried for me for hours, about 10 minutes late. I told her where I was and she said, that's all right, darling, just turn around and walk home. And she was way too relaxed for what I thought was the drama that I'd entered into. But basically it was fine.
1: But that's the thing. I think this whole kind of free range parenting concept used to be almost the norm back when you were a child. It was far more common for kids to be out i mean i don't i don't know how old you are you might have been like you know lighting oil lamps in the street and stuff but <laughs> it, it was it was more normal to go to the park on your own than it would be nowadays yeah i do think that's true okay so let's hear from leonore and uh whether she can alleviate some of your worries about it uh what her reasoning is for believing so strongly in the value of free range parenting yeah. and let's see if um, either of us agree <laughs>
2: house. Hi Hi. Hi, Leonora, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you, this is fun, you know, if if only for the accents it's fun.
1: So now we're joined by Lenore Scanese, who's the president of Let Grow, which is a non-profit uh, promoting childhood independence, and she was also the founder of the Free Range Kids Movement. Uh, Lenore, and she's also a writer, blogger, lots of other things. (laughs) Lenore, can
3: you explain to us what uh, exactly the free-range kids movement is? Well, the free-range kids movement began after I let my nine-year-old ride the subway, which I know you guys call the tube, I himself, I wrote a column about it in the good old days when newspapers were flourishing. Long may the times live. And um, a few days later, I was on all the chat shows in America defending my decision to let my kid do something alone. And so I started a blog that weekend called Free Range Kids to explain that I love safety. You know, helmets, car seats, seat belts, mouth guards, you name it. But I just thought that kids deserved some independence. That they didn't need a security detail every time they left the house. And so for about 10 years, I went around the country and sometimes the world um, talking about how we got so scared for our kids that things that seemed normal, that any normal, very caring, even cautious mom would let their kids do a generation or two ago, had become almost unthinkable in the modern era. You know, walk to school, ride your bike around town, talk to a stranger. Um, And then about three years ago, uh, Jonathan Haidt, who wrote a book, The Coddling of the American Mind, and some other super intellectuals (laughs) came to me and they said, we're so worried about um, the uh, sort of fragility of young people. They seem to be having um, a lot of anxiety, depression, Easily hurt. And we don't think it's happening when they turn 18 or 19. It must be starting sooner. They were looking around who is sort of fighting the conditions that create that kind of anxiety that tell kids that they're in constant danger and overprotect them and sort of don't let them fly from the nest. And they found me. And so together we created the nonprofit that you mentioned called Let Grow, not Let It Grow, which is such a horrible name. I can't believe that people sometimes think that's what it is. It's not. Um, it's Let Grow. And we are dedicated to making it normal to give kids some kind of old-fashioned independence because we think without it, kids are, are missing a fundamental part of their childhood, which is to be trusted, to do
2: some things on their own. So it's very, it's very emblematic, this business of a nine-year-old going on the tube or on the subway. Um, (laughs) What is it about the subway that is so significant? And, you know, when Flora told me that, uh, that, you know, this was the issue that had kickstarted it all, I had to reflect, did I allow my children go public transport? Probably not age nine, but certainly 11 or so. So, but but I also acknowledge that some children are different. What what was it that gave you confidence that a nine year old, because I think most people would go, oh, that is a bit young.
3: Yeah, I think it was the single digit that did it. Um, ironically, yeah. we have, at the time of our, our nine-year-old being nine, our older son was 11, and he had never asked us if he could take the subway by himself. And so we never said, it's time for you to do it, son. You know, here it is. Clock is ticking. You know, maturity now or never. Um, I, the older son calls himself the control group. <laughs> but um, what he, the reason that we felt that it was fine was because this younger son, let's give him a name, Izzy, had been asking us if he could do it. And the reason we felt that he was ready is because that's how we get around the city. We live in New York City. We didn't have a car at the time. And so we were always on the subway. And you know, some kids love public transportation. They get to know the bus driver and they know the routes of the subways. And and he is a kid who really likes that. And so we had to determine for ourselves, my husband and I, if it made sense. And I'm a reporter by trade. So I can look you know, first of all, I'm always around all the different parts of the city, so I I know the city really well, and I do think of it as a safe city. And in fact, of the 25 cities, the biggest cities in America, it's the safest. Um, but then I also. Um, You know, we chose the place that he would be coming back from. He would be—I was going to take him to, you know, sort of a snooty neighborhood in New York, frankly, where Bloomingdale's, this fancy department store, is. I guess it's like your Harrods. And um, and then he would take it down to um, 34th Street, famous for Miracle on 34th Street, and then take a bus—the extremely horrible slow bus—that gets to our apartment complex. So it was done, knowing our son knowing the train line, knowing the day. It was going to take him on a Sunday so it wouldn't be jam-packed like on a, um, on a rush hour. And knowing that he felt ready to do it. And I think there's something significant when parents listen to their kids and don't automatically say, yeah, you're ready to go into the, to the forest and make a bonfire and you're three. you know. I mean, you're allowed to, to think about whether their request makes sense. But if a kid is saying, I feel ready to do something independent and grown up, I'm not sure that we should dismiss that automatically as like no, 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 no. I'm not ready, so forget it.
1: And uh, it was that that all started like ten years ago or something.
3: So now he's 22. My God, (laughs) the subway rider's 22. There you go. He's he's learning how to be a commercial truck driver. So I was right. He really (laughs) does like (laughs) transportation. Right? Anything with wheels.
1: Welcome back to Split Opinion, where we're still talking to Lenore Skenazy, who's the founder of Free Range Kids.
2: I'm really interested in this point that giving children more independence could be part of the way you stop them having mental health issues. Because it seems like every day, and there was one yesterday, actually, in the UK, there's a new survey saying how children are unhappier than ever. Um, They're getting so much of this and so much of that. But right at the moment, they are unhappier than ever. And you think that that might be attached to the fact that as parents, we are too much on top of them? Yeah,
3: first of all, I'm not going to just blame parents. I'm not going to blame parents at all, because I feel like it's a culture that has told us that you can never take your eyes off your kids. I mean, that's why I was controversial. You know, part, part of it is that it was the subway, but it was really, how dare you think that your child could be okay without you there? And um, I, I wish I'd, I wish I could, I have this giant pile of papers here, so I will never find the actual piece of paper I wanted to read to you from, but I will quote it from memory, which is, um, a seventh grade teacher, seventh grade is ages 12 and 13, Um, public school, which is a regular public school, like a school that you go to for free. Um, she noticed that the kids coming into her class, and this is two years ago, were the most anxious she had ever seen in her 20 years of teaching. And so anxious that if she would say something as simple as, okay, write your name at the top of the, you know, the worksheet, and then we're going to go from there. And they would raise their hand. Do you mean both, you know, first name and last name at the top of the sheet? Should we write it on the left or the right? You know, do you need the full name? Should we put the date? And she was like, God, these these kids. There's something that is missing from them. Any kind of confidence that they could go forward. And then the more she talked to them, she realized they had done so. They'd been allowed to do so little in their lives that she asked them to fill out a sheet because she decided that she was going to do the Let Grow Project, which is I'll tell you about later. It's basically just having your, the kids go home with a homework assignment, which is, um, Mom, the teacher says I have to do something on my own without you or Dad or an adult. But before she gave them the project, she said, is there something that you're interested in doing that you feel ready to do, but you're a little hesitant? And the answers were so, I I have to call them shocking. Um, There were things like, um, I I would like to walk the dog, but I'm worried that he'll get off the leash or a bad man will take me. Um, I would like to go to a restaurant with my friends um, without my parents, but then there would be no one to watch over me. I would like to uh, try a wheelie, but I could get hurt. I would like to climb the tree, but I am afraid of falling and breaking a bone. And then one that came up three times, three different kids out of her 240 students was, um, I would like to try using a sharp knife. So, uh, you know, I actually am watching you and I was waiting for your jaws to drop. (laughs) No,
2: I'm thinking that's absolutely extraordinary. They're just being taught to be frightened by their parents. But
3: how do you
1: respond to... I mean I understand this idea that the kids have all these inbuilt fears now of fear of falling down or using a knife or stranger danger but how do you respond to the fact that parents are so fearful of I mean the one I, I always think of is Madeline McCann as the obvious one of her parents often receiving quite a lot of the blame for leaving their kid alone in a in a hotel room and you know there was the story of the kid falling off the um, bridge in Disneyland that they only they got partially blamed for not keeping an eye on the kid near the water or whatever there's there's Mm -hmm. so much so much danger everywhere and we're seeing so much about people getting kidnapped. So you know that story
3: I know that story it feels like it's everywhere because we keep seeing it and hearing about it Um, you know statistically not that anybody is ever moved by statistics but statistically in the United States we are uh, back to the crime rate of about nineteen. 63 or 67 depending on the stats so what's interesting to me is somehow my mom could let me go in the morning not going like this (gasps) oh no I'm letting her walk to school if she doesn't come home I'll never forgive myself think about Maddie think about the kid at Disneyland think about this why why would I do this to my kid no 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 stop I'll walk with you and and yet we don't do that if it's like all right, honey. You know, get in the car now. Although, if there's a drunk driver and we're hit by a car, and I was driving you to school, I could never forgive myself. So somehow, we are we are always imagining ourselves ridden with guilt and and regret if we take our eyes off our kids. But the actual statistical danger is that you know the number one way kids die is as passengers in cars. We don't we're not worried about that because we're there with them. And to me, this goes back to. Um, when your mom was asking about, um, you know, can parents have it all? If we've decided that the only good parent is with a child every single second, and that's the only time that they will get a pass, you know, if something bad happens, then you're stuck feeling guilty even just for not being with your kid, even if it is extraordinarily safe. It's never going to be perfectly safe. But even if it's extraordinarily safe, why aren't you with them?
2: And, And you're so right. And there's that word, guilt, which parents always feel, particularly mothers, if they're not with their children all the time and something does happen. And that's about um, accidents happen, but it's also about your child growing up. And if you're working hard, as I was, is you (laughs) think, oh, my God, I'm not sort of seeing my children and um, am I I hobbling them in some way by not being a stay-at-home mum? So you have to. I mean, from my point of view, it was a kind of slight form of loving, benign neglect, I like to think. But it was... well, not so much a parenting choice, but a kind of practical response to what I was trying to do myself, really, perhaps selfishly.
3: It's interesting that, you know, we always joke about benign neglect. That comes up a lot. Um, first of all, I think it is benign because people do have things to do as parents. Um, but I, rather than neglect, what, what would be different if we called it trust?
2: Yes. Mm. Nice. I'm going to I'm yeah. going to rethink my whole vision of myself as a mother. I was trusting you, Flora. I like
1: that. Sounds better. Do you think COVID and lockdown has been good for? Uh, I don't know. Allowing parents, allowing kids to to have to create their own fun, I suppose, and have to be given a bit more freedom. They can't just be at school or extra clubs or activities. It must be quite good for kind of free ranging. It is.
3: Um, so at Let Grow, we did a a survey of um, 800 kids. So we did it twice. So. If you did your math like Einstein, um, you'd figure out that that's 1,600 kids that we surveyed, and one of the questions we asked is, "What new thing are you doing not for school?" And um, I mean, they're doing weird stuff because they're becoming quirky. I mean, yes, there's the there's the origami and the card tricks and you know stuff like that, but there's I am researching 1940s gangsters. Uh, I am fascinated by you know frog tongues, frogs tongues. I mean, like weird stuff because exactly what you just said they had all this free time and it was at first they were bored I mean when we asked the questions we said you know there's 10 adjectives good and bad and the top one was bored and the second one was happy and I do think they I don't think that's a coincidence I think they're so bored that they start researching gangsters from the 1940s and then pretty soon they're off to the races or they're looking at bugs or they're learning baseball and So yes, um, COVID is a bad, 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 bad thing with this one silver lining.
2: I thought that was very uplifting. It was really encouraging to hear from Lenore about how to really enable children by trusting them.
1: So I think you were a bit sceptical of how hippy-dippy it was going to be. I was. Almost.
2: I was It wasn't like that at all. And what she's rebranded, what I felt a bit guilty about, which I called benign neglect, to benign trust, a very positive thing, which explains why you're so creative.
1: Yeah, that sounds much, much better. I do think it's, I think it gets a little bit dangerous when we start to, um, attach so much psychology to it in terms of, uh, you know, kids nowadays are depressed and have anxiety for all different reasons. Um, and I think
2: she was fair about that. She yes, did say yes, that. definitely, absolutely. Uh, she, but it does feel intuitive that if you don't give children enough time to actually uh, muddle around, they're less likely to discover their, their, their ability, their capability of doing something. I mean, what we didn't discuss is the fact that young children now are so um, screen-obsessed, they find it much more difficult, I think, to come off the screen and to, to take their own initiative. So let, let's hear now from my good friend and uh, sort of acting mother sometimes to you, frankly, Uh, Emma Bridgewater, who, apart from her successful business, has been a bit of a pin-up to me as a really wonderful mother to her children.
1: Yeah, and from my point of view, she was the person that, as you said, used to kind of slightly be a second mum to us.
2: So there was the time that when we went to stay and both Emma and Matthew, her husband, were being really lovely, lovely and including you guys in their extended family and Ali actually turned to Matthew and called him Dad." I mean, Matthew was a little alarmed, so he soon put him right.: <laughs> And but- I,
1: I for years thought Emma was my godmother and just wasn't giving me presents, but no, she just
2: she just was your friend. She just was my friend, and a very good one. So let's hear from her now.) <laughs> for joining us for our penultimate episode of Split Opinion," where I try and correct Flora and some of her misconceptions about life. And this week we're doing parenting, and the whole issue of "Can you have it all?" the sort of subjects which you and I have been asked about many times in our lives, but we're doing it between the generations. I'm having to listen to Flora's views and trying to explain mine. And talking a bit about our own parenting, obviously, Flora is immaculate been parented but a little bit of my children too your children too emma exactly (laughs) and we know them (laughs) Um, and so having a wide-ranging conversation about it, we're very interested in your views about how you were parented, perhaps, and what influences your parents, your mother particularly, I think, knowing you a bit, had on you. But I just wanted to bring you up to date with one conversation we've just had. Perhaps you could do that, Flora, with another guest.
1: Yeah, so we were talking to our previous guest, Lenore Scanese, who is a uh, the founder of Free Range Kids Movement which is basically rejection of helicopter parenting, of always watching over your kids and making sure that they're in every activity and reading every workbook and doing everything. And um, I think, as mum said, having we for any listeners that haven't picked up on mum being very friendly with Emma, we uh, grew up very close to each other. And uh, I used to be at Emma's house just basically every other weekend being raised with her kids. And I think your parenting style was perhaps more free rangey in that way than mum was.
2: I mean, I thought I was strict, but I don't think I was strict really, but compared to Emma, I might've been strict. What do you think, Emma?
1: Um, I
4: like to think I was a liberal parent and I'll, that's about as far as, no, listen, I think tr- trust is a huge part of good parenting and, um, I was given a load of of rain when I was little and kind of assumed that it would go for my kids like it did for me. And that was pretty much the case.
2: It's so interesting that you say trust because that's exactly what she was saying. I referred to benign neglect and she said it's more like benign trust because if you trust your children, that's the key thing. Well, my mum's thing, which I absolutely, totally inhaled, is you
4: you're kind of from playing to the, your highest expectations and your highest hopes and the best of your kids' abilities rather than treating it like like delin- this is how I say it, rather than treating them like delinquents who need to be under control.
0: You know, yes.
4: I, I feel I imagine them succeeding and doing marvellous things. And lo and behold they do. They do.
2: <laughs> and Emma, you had four children, you have four children, which is quite a lot really. And you managed to build a pretty substantial business. A little bit of pressure there? A
4: little bit of pressure. And I was away too much, probably. Um, You know, if I had my time again, I would probably shove Matthew out into the fray sooner. You know, he did a very good job of running it for some time. And I probably, you know, I wish I'd been at home more when they were little. But, um, hey, they had lots of very good grandparental interventions. So I think, you know. They were pretty good. But yeah. I, I missed that. I thought I missed yes. that.
1: And just for people that don't know, you, which they might have guessed as your Emma Bridgewater, but it was your Emma Bridgewater pottery company. Emma Bridgewater, just Emma Bridgewater. Um, just when that
4: thing, all that, all those mugs that I was busy um, sort of seeing to the factory of.
2: I'm now sporting and showing Emma my lovely Hastings Emma Bridgewater mug. Which one of my favourites. Done with
4: you in mind, Amber. Thank you. Um, Be very do...
2: clear
1: when did you start emma bridgewater was it before you had any of your kids how old is it now
4: full disclosure i have lied about my age whenever i possibly can (laughs) thought i could get away with it so there are people around there who've done the maths and worked out that i started it when i was still at school before i did my own (laughs) levels even oh my god in fact, i was i think i was 23 when i first went to stoke and it got going very quickly when i saw the kind of the factories and this amazing sort of amazing energy in a manufacturing city that I could um, have such a good time in. So it happened quite quick, quite early on.
2: And to what degree did the sort of family your mother built around you impact on the type of business you built? Well, I
4: think the business was built sort of in conscious and unconscious homage to the way I felt about her and the way she made all of us feel about home life that it was the place to be and that it was lovely and it was relaxed and there was nothing but a kind of pleasure in having your children bring more people home uh, whenever they, you know, came in. But she could not have been more welcoming. And I think the brand's all about that. But it did mean that, I mean, I'm, if I count my whole, um, you know, sort of family, which I absolutely do, I was one, I grew up as one of eight siblings and I, you know, they were, they were as much a part of my life kind of looking at the whole thing, as my own kids. And um, so we we are a huge, unruly gang. And I think the brand has got quite a lot of that feeling of a big, inclusive, welcoming tribe. And I, I really love that the customers sort of pick up on that. Well,
2: I think that is the appeal, really, of your, of your brand, is that you're conveying to us this whole uh, family feeling that's a positive thing, and all the little instructions on the cups and mugs sometimes, about reading, about <laughs> making cakes, about obviously loving Elvis, that goes without uh, saying.
4: Important hints of this kind. The you know, aunt to the fiancé, um, fantasising about Daniel Craig, those kind of things. Exhortations so t- to bake bread and dig the garden yeah. are coming your way soon.
1: I remember when we were little and we used to go over to your house and um, me and my brother used to be so excited to basically... Run free and go run around in trees and build random things and get excited. But then occasionally, Ali would come with his tiny little uh portable television, which had a screen about half the size of a current iPhone. And your kids would want to go around it and watch television because because we didn't have a telly
4: most of the time. Matthew was very, very sure that they should be growing up in the woods. And um, there were various godparents who would come and whisper to. Ignore your father and watch more television. Um, but indeed, uh, the the telly went away in April and didn't come back till October. And the the um the very nice hire place in Aylesham, they kind of arrived like the fourth emergency service. So when <laughs> Ali hadn't furnished us with a school, with them with a small telly screen. Um, getting hold of a telly was was much
2: more pressing. If Ali couldn't smuggle it into your household. But I do remember there was a certain amount of strictness sometimes about the Barbie dolls.
4: Matthew used to get really angry with Barbie. I I think it was probably stumbling around with a hangover in the morning and that very painful. It's about as bad as Lego, but he minded sort of, aesthetically much more stepping on Barbie accessories
1: what from, from a feminist point of view or just from a this isn't beautiful point of view
4: no no just a painful on his feet <laughs> and, and and aesthetically pretty grim.
2: they were locked up in suitcases and put in the attic
4: they were all confiscated and sent on holiday yes
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't allowed uh, my size Barbie
1: which is what I really wanted but that was because you were being all feminist and you thought it was just Horrible the idea
2: that I wanted a my size Barbie. It was a grotesque thing, a my size. It
4: awful, awful. The whole thing, I mean, Barbie was just so dreadful. But there we go. Matthew locked her away. So that was the end. Of it.
2: <laughs> do you think that the new generation, the generation of our children, will um, do it any better than we did? Or do you think that they will, um, you know, feel the guilt that you-, you mentioned yourself, feeling for not spending too much time with your children? I feel the same. But I think mothering also always involves a certain amount of guilt.
4: I think before you do it, you can corroborate this, Flora. I think you know you're going to be absolutely bloody brilliant, Ashley. You're gonna be the best mum ever. You're not, not gonna make any of those stupid mistakes. And when you're in it, it's unfathomably difficult. Nobody gives you actually a rule book. Your own children throw the hard stuff at you I and mean, they're sort of designed to challenge you with your own kind of strength somehow. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's all quite surprising and shocking kind of as it starts um one of my goddaughters was being very funny about this and she said no no we're going to be lost in self-care we're definitely going to find it extremely difficult find time to be with our children probably not because Building businesses, but because we've got to see our therapists.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do hate, and we've used it a couple times now. But this expression of the have it all, which is now always thrown at women, of you must be able to have the perfect relationship and the perfect family and the perfect business, it's just such. It's gone from being, it's gone from being such a great call to you can do it all to being like this claim that you have to be able to have it all, and that just seems it's just impossible.
4: Of course, it's impossible. It will. I don't know about you, Amber, but I, 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 I suspect we were on exactly the same page through school and university. Of course, I can do it all. There is no I mean, there's no difference between me and um anyone else in terms of determination and ability. And then there's that moment when you come home with a small baby in your hands and you think, How does this work? Oh, exactly. <laughs> oh my god. It, you know, I mean I remember thinking they shouldn't let me out of hospital because I don't know how to look after this baby.
1: I really, really don't know
4: how to look after this baby. And and then thinking, but where am I going to put it when I'm working? You know, just, just completely extraordinary. And and it does all hinge on whether you're going to share it as a couple. Uh, I mean, we I think we did to some extent. Matthew, certainly by the time um, the, the three and four came along, Michael, he had to be pretty hands-on. I don't think he was for choice at the beginning. Um, but it still seems okay one of the things that worked for us was only one career you know the fact that was the company that we were both kind of building that up there was a time when we were doing slightly separate things and we both got a strong sense that that you know a family and two careers don't be stupid that really really is too much too much and so kind of we felt if we're sharing the parenting and his parents were incredibly hands-on and sweet and did tons and tons i mean do you remember them before they were yeah of course
1: completely
4: a lot yeah making it more fun and and probably yeah luckily they did loads of the school runs and stuff you know they really were were amazing but still it did feel like just to be building a company at the same time
1: Oh, i was thinking the other day about how um because like uh your your and and your partner's parents my grandparents were pretty involved in uh, my yes, life as they a kid were. and I used they to were. go over to my grandma's house a lot and it's interesting now that um, people are having children older and older how that relationship of grandparents is going to change it's true it's I'm harder. basically I'm worried you're going to be too old
2: I'm worried you're going to be too old <laughs>
1: oh my god <laughs>
4: No, you mustn't say that, Amber. It's exactly. really important not to put any pressure on.
1: No pressure. Thank you. I might not even want any. I might be pregnant right now. It could be either way oh, anyway. It's okay. such an exciting
2: ride to being Flora's mother. I'm
4: looking forward to it immensely yeah. when it happens. I mean, like a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, my mum when when I told her, I could see it her she just she didn't couldn't quite hide the fact that she wished it wasn't happening quite
1: yet. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Whereas I am absolutely longing for it. I yeah.
2: need to be me um, too chaos
1: mum's face as she said me too did not look very
2: <laughs> <laughs> not quite as convincing as you are <laughs> Emma thank you so much it's thank been you lovely thank you so much talk for talk joining you. us Emma oh it's so nice to see you both Well, Flora, it's a little late for me to learn anything about parenting, the choices involved, the responsibilities, the guilt, the risks. Oh, my God. Have we completely put you off?
1: No, and I think I was perhaps a little unfair Mm. on you at the beginning of the show. A hint of humility? Because what I've realised is that um, you were free range in some ways in the way that you raised me, and you did watch over me in others, and that there is perhaps no... Perfect version of parenting, and as I said, I came out pretty well. So,
2: there certainly is no perfect version, but I think you came out pretty well, too. <laughs> uh, that and your brother as well. And listen, you made it both alive through the journey, and who knows. What's in the future?
1: I mean, I'm not in any desperate rush to do it any time. I'm definitely not going to let my partner listen to this because it's going to be freaking him out. So
2: yeah, I I think he you might make this the one he misses. Although I'm not utterly convinced he's listened to everyone. Let's find out. (laughs) Not sure he's listened to any of them. (laughs)
1: You've been listening to Split Opinion with Flora Gill and Amber Rudd. It's a Wireless Studios production for Times Radio, produced by Ben Mitchell. Tune in to Times Radio every Sunday at 7pm to hear us live. And you can download the podcast to listen on demand. We're available at Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and from the shiny new Times Radio app.